Uh, hey, this is Ross Bain with Rollin' Public Radio. This is RBPR uh, episode 140, Games in Your Game, because we heard you like games, dog. Uh, and with me, uh, not as always, is Bill. Hi, everybody. Uh, so, yeah, in this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, using mini games uh, inside a role-playing game. So, uh, if you don't, yeah, if you want to change up uh, the the flow of a game, uh, you know, Keep your players on your feet. You can throw in a mini game. Uh, so uh, Bill suggested this idea, and I thought it would be a lot of fun. So uh, we're going to go for it. Uh, we everyone else basically has left Springfield uh, temporarily. Temporarily, they have not fled the blighted hellscape of Southwest Missouri. <laughs> uh, yeah. So don't worry, Caleb and his salt will be coming back, and Tom and Aaron and John and all them. So uh, they don't it, take as much joy in hating this place. <laughs> Uh, before we get into it, though, we have a bit of news. Uh, we have uh, Arc Dream, of course, uh, is going to be at Gen Con this year, and they are needing people to help uh, run games at Gen Con. They barely have uh, a dozen games uh, set up so far. Uh, I'm running one, actually. I'm running Delta Green, Observer Ooh. Effect. Uh, and, uh, yeah, no, I, I learned to run the scenario, so I'm going to run it. I might as well learn, run it more than once. Uh, I- yeah, I can tell. Like for the effort you have to put into that one. Yeah, that and Star Chamber, they're 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 yeah high effort, high reward scenarios. Just, uh, that's also a very good con game. I can't help but feel because yeah. like if you screw it up, you get another chance. <laughs> Spoilers, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so the uh, so I'm going to be running one game. Uh, I maybe another one. I don't know, but we need more people to run games uh, for our dream. So if you run a game, you will get free. Uh, you will, you will be set up. They will give you swag. They will give you books or t-shirts or, uh, jackets or something. So go to the, uh, I'll have a link in the show notes to go to Arc Dreams with the details on it. Uh, but if you're going to Gen Con, uh, yeah, it's only four hours to run a game and it's easy to submit. I submitted the event myself. Uh, it took me like 10 minutes, uh, on the Gen Con website. Just pick a time, add in the info, and you're done. So, um, yeah, give it a shot. It's it's you can't you say you've really been to Gen Con unless you've run at least one game. So, hey. <laughs> well, fine then. <laughs> Don't so, worry, Bill. There's always next year. That's uh, true. So, um, uh, and we also have shoutouts and anecdotes. So, uh, to come at the end. Yeah, at the end, as uh, is tradition. As is tradition. So, uh, Bill, you're the one who came up with the idea. So, uh, why don't we start off by uh, you sort of giving your Thoughts on why, uh, how you came up with this idea and what were your initial thinking is? Sure. So, so this all sort of comes from kind of one common place to me and like in sort of the, you know, F20 milieu lock picking bothers me. Um, yeah. cause it feels like it should be some sort of, you know, relatively intense sort of story moment, but it's the one sort of place where, like, obviously in your your D and Ds and your Pathfinders and your whatever, you get you know lots of loving attention to combat and stuff yeah. like that, and certain other like magical effects and all that. But I think like lock picking was always the sort of proud nail example to me of something that should feel like a really cool moment for that player, but tends to be roll a die, pass or fail. Yeah. Um, and like that sort of illustrated to me something that occasionally bugs me about RPGs in general is that like the resolution mechanics tend to not actually involve a lot of engagement from the player. Like it's, 
it, th- there are shades of gray and, you know, games that have marginal successes and all that. But like, ultimately it, it sort of reduces to a binary. Like yeah. there's no real effort there, you know, people with dice rituals, notwithstanding. Mm-hmm. And so I've spent a lot of time kind of kicking around and exploring and looking for ways where like you can sort of drive further engagement on the player level through introducing some sort of mini game to deal with resolution, you know, at some mm-hmm. sort of level, whether that's at the action level, the scene level, you know, wherever along the gaming fractal you want to deal <laughs> with it. Um, so yeah, a lot of that just ends up being sort of the research that I sit around doing for funsies because I'm a nerd. <laughs> um, and like, I've tried some things out a few times. It tends to be like some of the stuff that gets the unambiguously best response from almost anybody I'm playing with. I I can't think of anybody that's ever said, "Eh, don't do that. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I thought it'd be a thing to talk about. Um, Yeah. And we have examples of this in our actual play uh, canon. Um, I want to say, you know, I've done it before. Mine were kind of more extensive uh, in Heroes of New Arcadia. Uh, I actually set a session where the players were trapped in a simulated reality, and I used Iran, the game, starting out in Dread. Uh, nice. And when they woke up or they broke free of the simulation, we, we went back to the Wild Talents rule set. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's sort of one sort of big... Uh, it's more of a mini... It, 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 it's... Not quite a full game, but yeah, not quite just uh, like a scene thing. Um, also, some of the other games, uh, Anne, uh, who is in the Massive Night Lithotep campaign, uh, mm-hmm. she ran several one-shots, and she was really good about it, doing this kind of thing of mm-hmm. creating puzzles uh, that had to be solved by the players in real life uh, in order to advance. And they were things like, here, I, I got a game on my smartphone that's a puzzle game. Solve this in order to get past the lock, you know? Mm-hmm. Or uh, And I thought that was really clever, and I liked that. Yeah. Um, so there's varying degrees of um, what a mini game can be and how mm-hmm. long, how much of a role it plays in your game. Right. Um, the, the one yeah. thing, like, I wasn't present for, but I remember you telling me about, you know, early in Duality, you handed uh, all the Hedgerow, like, spam bot stuff. Out. Oh, yeah, that's another and, one, yeah. like... To varying degrees, I, I think you said like Caleb beat on that like it owed him money. Yeah, uh, uh, that's yeah, that's actually another good point. Um, yeah, I, I created and th- this was actually it was extra credit essentially. It was like yeah. if you want more um, uh, res for your character, basically experience points in a close way to speak, uh, you can solve puzzles. And I actually took random spam text and put in word ciphers in, mm-hmm. in, into it. And um, Caleb like, solved it that night because he yeah. was like, Caleb is the kind of person who will like do homework the f- night it's assigned. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I get... And that w- but that also illustrates another thing. Caleb was the only one who did that out of the group. Right. So uh, you, you're going to get varying degrees of player buy-in, I guess you could mm-hmm. say. Uh, and you kind of have to deal with that because I think one of the big challenges of doing a minigame uh, is the that you player real life player abilities are obviously not mirroring their in you know their player character abilities right and rpgs are about that separation to a large degree like mm-hmm. the shy person can become the charismatic bard and even if in real life all he can manage says i persuade the orc to let us go and if that's all he can manage in real life and then rolls a natural 20 you're like okay yeah you, you do a great job or the you know the guy who wants to be the you know conan s barbarian says i rip the door off its hinges mm-hmm. even if he can't rip a door off hinges in real life right. um so that's the challenge that's sort of yep. the, the 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 corollary to that is you kind of 
want to design mini games that can still be approached by the players. You yeah. Know? Um, so a couple of points, like speaking back to that. Um, so something that that may have not felt so much like a mini game, but yeah. to me, like sort of worked that way, is something that'll be coming up on the tabletop tales feed mm. here in a little bit. Uh, is the hypercube episode of uh, Armitage Files? Yeah. Um, which, you know, while it still lived within the rules of the game by and large, like structurally, it was kind of a mini game, uh, yeah, sort of it resolving was a, a definitely a very, very elaborate puzzle. I would, yeah. Yeah. So. It was sort of resolving things more at the scene level. Mm-hmm. So, uh, to speak to the points you were making about like being ready for player capabilities, uh, for one, like I, I didn't per se plan it this way but like having done the research to execute it like there it was sort of three interlocked puzzles it was like sort of my you know milestone one was figuring out that there were collections of six rooms that translated to cubes milestone two was figuring out which exit was which yeah which you know resonated between all the different cubes and then the last one was figuring out the relationship to each other Mm mm-hmm Um, And at each step along the way, like, I was prepared. uh, As it turns out, I don't think you guys ended up using a lot of them. But, like, I think this goes back to the point you were making about integrating with the game mechanics you're running in. Mm -hmm. Like, I was prepared to hand you guys hints. You know, Gumshoe's kind of a great system for this because you have that, you know, that spin mechanic. So, yeah. It's helping you walk through or, you know, in that case, it might not even be spins, but it could be general tests. It could just be having the ability gets you an in-game clue that tries to lead you in that direction, mm-hmm. leads the players in that direction, depending on how comfortable you are with, you know, improvising and the like. Um, but I think those are a couple of really important things to keep in mind uh, is that you take a fail forward. Mm -hmm. approach that like this isn't just the you know it's not the big key lock in a in a zelda dungeon where if you can't find it the game just skids to a halt yeah that that's yeah you don't want it to turn into a cul-de-sac where you like um basically yeah the game sort of dead ends and you can't you can't progress right um so you need to come up with like if the players can't solve it at all Oh, you can. Oh, you figure out there's a another copy of the key or something like that mm-hmm. elsewhere, but there's a big monster you have to fight, and, right. you know. Uh, or uh, when you fail the puzzle, it triggers a trap that uh, do, does damage, but then you can crawl out of the pit and mm-hmm. uh, move forward. Or it opens something. Yes, yeah, something happens. You don't just like well. Mm, you know. right. And I think, you know, maybe one of the keys to that is looking at what game system you're running in. And yeah. like almost every game involves some sort of resource management mm-hmm. and like looking at what's available in that resource management, because those are probably good things to put little taxes on. Yeah. You know, uh, as failure states, but but they're not necessarily dead end failures. It yeah. costs you, but you still achieve. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, that's, the first thing you have to do, I think, when you're designing a minigame is, uh, one, kind of figure out how closely you want to integrate it into the, into the game overall yeah. RPG yourself. Uh, you know, and, and my, the pu- ciphers I sent out were uh, basically, I would call standalone puzzles, where mm-hmm. they were standalone minigames, where it's like, here's this thing. It's sort of either you solve it or you don't, and if you do, this will happen. If you don't, this will happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the re- the way I did that in, in uh, Eclipse Phase, it was that 
it's a bonus. If you want additional resources, yeah. you can solve it. Um, if you fail, you know, well, whatever, the plot goes on. Right. Um, and Anne was, um, I don't know what she was going to plan if we failed those, because uh, we solved them. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, I, I think there's a word about that, too, is like, I think there is, I mean, and, and this is, you know, dicey territory, so go with me. But, um, <laughs> like, I think there's a lower threshold that you can depend on. Like, yeah. You know, not to speak ill of anyone's players, because I'm not actually, but like, I, I feel like you can assume a certain amount of cognitive capacity mm-hmm. if you're playing with people who can actually manage to play a role playing game All right, at any fair. level. So, like, one of the things that um, I've used not quite as successfully as I wanted to, but like, I've, I've thought back on how to do it again later is like, um, so, you know, set up essentially something that's a combat situation where everyone, save one person in the group, is, like, trying to hold back the push mm-hmm. while one person is working with the puzzle mm-hmm. to solve it out. And what you do, you know, in a case like that is take a good solid, you know, late elementary to early middle school maze mm-hmm. and say, all right, but a combat round is six seconds. We're going to measure that real time. When your turn comes up, you have six seconds to progress in the maze. <laughs> oh, wow. And that sets a clock on how many rounds. Yeah, I like that. Um, that that's a good yeah. Um, and that's that's sort of more of a I, I would call like a partially integrated game where yeah. there there's it ties back into the overall game mechanics. So like you solve this increment of puzzle and you get you know um, then we we tie it into the combat system. Um, another thing, the gumshoe stuff is like if you want additional help solving this this mini game, this puzzle or whatever it is, uh, make a, an investigative point spin and you'll get mm-hmm. this additional edge. So it's yeah. partially integrated. Now the main thing is you don't want to fully integrate. Fully integrated is not really a mini game at all. That's like right. roll to solve puzzle. You know, roll yeah. to solve, roll to pick lock. And and I think so, you have to look at the game you're dealing with there. Like as I was, you know, thinking mm-hmm. about this ahead of time, like I don't think I would ever do this with red markets. Yeah. Uh, nothing, nothing at all against red markets. I actually think it's kind of a strength for it. Like there's so much resource management there already. It all, right. always feels like every choice you make is a weighty decision mm-hmm. that like is based in your player choices and your character choices. Yeah. I just don't think it would need it. Um, I, at I, least I, not to a large degree. Um, I, I could see it. Um, because, uh, you know, one thing we've been talking about puzzles, we've been focusing on them, because that's sort of, I think, the easiest kind of mini game mm-hmm. uh, to do that is to, you know, hey, do a Sudoku to solve these this room trap, you know, or yeah. whatever. Um, but those aren't the only types of games out there, obviously. So you True. could you could do anything. Um, of course, and even puzzles. I Actually, I could see a partially integrated thing is doing the uh, a river crossing problem in Red Markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got, you know... A vector in a cage, uh, a farmer, and uh, you know uh, uh, some rations, and you have a boat that can only carry one at a time. And if the farmer's left alone with the rations, he's going to eat the rations. If the vector's left alone with the farmer, he's going to do that. So uh, how do you you know how do you get them across? Um, that's fair. I, I mean, I think that's a great example of something that's fully integrated. Yeah, that's uh, true. I mean, I think well, your entire table would stare daggers at you. <laughs> uh, but, I've actually done river crossing problems in D and D, and yeah, they did stare daggers at me because they're like, "Oh, you son of a bitch." Um, but uh, yeah, and that's the other thing is sort of like the how how integrated is, is this just a puzzle or is this a full mini game? Like, sure. what, what? How are the game mechanics different and unique from that? So. Right. Um, 
Uh, yeah, we could just think of like different games and like how would we make them into a mini game, into mm-hmm. a role playing game. So um, yeah, the obvious ones are puzzles, which are ways to solve traps or pick locks or something like mm-hmm. that. Do a Sudoku to open this magic door. You right. Know? So I'll I'll take sort of a sidebar right there mm-hmm. and, and like sort of examine the underlying thought and what you're saying there is, is sort of some remarks about resonance, mm-hmm. like. You know, those are things that it lines up pretty well that, yeah, you know, solving tangrams or pentominoes feels very sort of trap, you know, mm-hmm. stuff e or, or runic or something like that. And like, while I would generally say you do want to try to find resonant combinations where the actual puzzle that you're presenting to your players in some way feels like that thing, you, you don't have to. I mean, people love Arkham Horror as a board game, mm-hmm. but like, there's nothing that really makes that feel like cosmic horror. Like it's all set dressing. Yeah. Um, unlike say pandemic where like that press of trying to stem the tide. Yeah. The, vi- the, the infection spreads almost exponentially while yeah. your, your efforts are linear. So, right. uh, yeah, there, yeah, that, there is that, um, connection. Um, there is that, that sort of disparity between mechanics and, and theme and that kind right. of thing. So yeah. and it's not necessarily bad. It's just better when you can get it. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, and, but yeah, sometimes it can be totally divorced. Uh, sometimes it, it doesn't have to be, it, it just, it just depends on what you want to do. And also, um, what you, I think the biggest thing is as a GM is like, what do you think is going, going to make the, what, the players sit up and take notice because like the whole point of doing a mini game is to be like i'm separating this from the rest of the game um and or in redmark you know for example we could do the trap thing where like oh there's a security system that's partially disabled Mm -hmm. solve this puzzle in order to unlock the security vault you know um that that's the obvious one but the other red markets thing being that it already has a mini game baked in like once per every adventure yeah the negotiations yeah negotiations yeah that's a good point um and so yeah some role-playing games have that uh but they aren't necessarily all puzzle um you know for example um, and I've heard of people doing this before where, uh, on vague anecdotal, uh, uh, stories from various message boards where people use video games as a mini game, mm-hmm. um, be like, uh, the typical one be like, okay, you're, you're trying to escape, uh, the death, you know, the death not star, uh, to, before it blows up. So beat this Star Fox level, uh, or get a better time on this uh, on this race on Star Fox or whatever, and uh, you can escape. If not, your ship is damaged and you're going to crash. Mm-hmm. And you know you have to deal with the, the survival adventure before you get back to the plot. God. Oh uh, man, yeah. So like, it would take so much effort to make sure everyone was was like ready. Mm-hmm. But I could totally see doing a you are limping away in your spaceship in like Ashen Stars or Guy and Reach or something. Yeah, actually being you must make it to round six in space team <laughs> okay yeah there you go space team i didn't even thought of that um or yeah if you're doing a survival thing yeah you're gonna be trapped on this planet for uh you know x time units you know mm-hmm. uh survive this long in a survival video game and uh survive for a week in uh minecraft survival or the long mm-hmm. dark or something like that um and of course that 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 then become the main thing is how do you do that uh, you know, everyone goes over to the living room to play that game, right. um, or not. Yeah. And yeah. so the other thing, like, as I was thinking about that, 
uh, because video games tend to be a great source mm-hmm. in some degrees for this kind of stuff. I mean, the especially the 3D, the Metroid Prime games, mm-hmm. Zelda games, uh, probably stuff that I'm aware of from you know other. It probably re- revolves around like third-person exploration games. I don't remember a lot of this from Fallout, but it's mm-hmm. probably in there. I'm just not thinking of it. But the thing you have to keep in mind is that like the failure state is so different. Mm -hmm. Like you can present a much more stark, like video games don't really have to worry about people failing forward. Uh, You can let people just grapple with stuff. Yeah. 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 Uh, Where like that, that is the caution I would use there. And mm -hmm. like things I would, if I'm trying to adapt, you know, something from a video game or even use a video game, you know, is that sort of, is that dynamic going to be too different? Uh, you know, like, is it just, are you trying to beat this one level of Star Fox? Is mm-hmm. it one try? Are you willing to extend to multiple tries? What does that mean? Well, that, that's a way to partially integrate it in the game. You know, for example, you could get another try if you spend some resource in the RPG, you know. True. Uh, like spend a um, force point, you know, yeah. if it's a Star Wars type game. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then you get another go at it, you know. Um, All of that to say that's important to think about ahead of time. Oh, yeah. You definitely need to plan this out ahead of time. You don't want to do it in the middle of the game. Um, And, you know, one of the things I've also been trying to think uh, while we've been talking is, like, how to make it more, like, into social conflicts or social things of the game Mm -hmm. Um, instead of just puzzles or solving some sort of mechanical or, you know, uh, concrete kind of challenge. Uh, so I was thinking, you know, some sort of board game that emphasizes building or civilization or something like that, Mm -hmm. um, that's competitive, you know, like maybe seven wonders or something like that. So, um, let's say, you know, you're, uh, all explorers and you come to this alien planet, uh, which person is the alien and then they're like, okay, we're all going to play seven wonders. And like, why, why are we going to do that? Um, all right, so th- this is going to help determine what the alien culture is going to be like, nice. uh, whoever wins that. And whoever wins that is also the one the aliens think is their uh, reincarnated god or something like that. Uh, well done. So wow. that that could be one example. Yeah. Uh, and that that's not even necessarily a winner or a loser. It's just determining sure. how it's themed. So maybe the non-social character wins the board. And don't tell them ahead of time. Right. So the person who's really good at board games but is playing the tank who can't talk is now the suddenly one that they're... Suddenly Quetzalcoatl. Yeah, is suddenly Quetzalcoatl. And then, like, the talker is like, oh, well, tell them what to do. You know, I'm like, I don't... Maybe not. You know, like, Quetzalcoatl, why are you letting this human talk to you? We can kill him for you. He seems to be sassing you, you know? Uh, and, and, that com- and, that, and that can be fun. So. Yeah. I also think, you know, we're in a pretty good period for cooperative board games. Yeah, that's true. Um, like, I could see uh, Forbidden Desert or Forbidden Island mm-hmm. as great exploration mini games, mm-hmm. um, especially like because you, you'd sort of want to look into the back end of that. Uh, given that those are games that you are quite likely to lose, uh, <laughs> make sure that it's not a binary. Yeah. You know, instead be like, how many treasures did you recover? Or it could be something along the lines of like, here you find the journal of a explorer who died a century ago. Yeah. And his journal describes this journey, and yeah. uh, and maybe that's how he died, or maybe he retired, and yeah, uh, you know, something like that. And uh, instead, the victory thing is all like, you know, if you actually win Forbidden Island, nobody mm-hmm. loses Fate of Moxa Will or yeah. refreshes <laughs> or whatever. And if yeah. you do, you all lose one. It taxes yeah. you. Uh, Sucks to be you. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, I think. Um, 
let's see, you could also use uh, other. Now, one thing I did mention sort of early on was like using Dread, you know, a, another role playing game as yeah. your mini game. Uh, and I do remember, I just recalled another example of that, you know, in Eclipse Phase, mm-hmm. very advanced sci fi setting, they have their, you know, holodeck slash, well, they call it Simul Space in there. Yep. Um, and obviously they have their own video games in Simul Space. So, uh, Take your pick? well, basically <laughs> the way it worked out was the guy was running Eclipse Phase and he was like, okay, you need to convince this. MMO player that you're yep. on on uh, that you're you're worth dealing with. So we're gonna play uh, a session of four E D and D. That's subtle commentary. There. A subtle commentary. Uh, I still stand by four E D and D. I enjoy it. it just <laughs> the thing it does, it does particularly well. And there are other things I would like to do sometimes. Uh, no, that's fair. Um, it, no, no edition of D and D is perfect. Um, but. Um, and then you could make that either a totally standalone thing, or you mm-hmm. could even partially integrate it in Clip Space. Be like, okay, we'll step back. Uh, well, you're characterized. Well, wait, I want to hack this. I, I want to cheat. You know, yep. uh, make a hacking test. If you fail, then your character is going to be the other. The rest of the party will be penalized if you fail your hacking check. You know, because they, they, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, bot detected. You know, your 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 uh, uh, D leveled or something like that. So yep. again, don't make it like you're kicked out of the game and it fails. Right. Uh, or you maybe you could, and that's like it's a high stake. It's like how much this MMO player trusts you. You know, mm-hmm. um, I whenever I try and do these things, I try and make it so that it's impossible not to progress yes. to a certain degree. So like maybe the 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 thing that you need to progress is to find out the identity of the MMO player in right. question. In which case, that happens like in the first scene, and you don't have to make a roll for it. So. Uh, the question is, if you f- totally fuck up everything else, you're going to have to break into that guy's apartment and, you know, he, steal information from him. Uh, but yeah, if you succeed, yeah. he just gives it to you. You know, you know him. He knows you and yeah. he doesn't like you versus, you know, him. He knows you and you bailed his ass out of that raid that was going south. Yeah, exactly. So um, that that can be fun. And uh, so that that's one way of inter- integrating uh, sort of different genres. So, mm-hmm. um yeah, that can be fun. Oh, uh, you know, another thing I thought of, uh, you're talking about co-op games. Yeah. Um, like one of the shout outs I'm going to do is the Grizzled, uh, which is a yes. World War One. So that not necessarily could be, um, there's sort of a larger category of using it to build out the campaign setting. So mm-hmm. like you could use the Grizzled to explain, all right, these characters, this is, uh, how these characters fared in the, you know, maybe play like one or two missions of the Grizzle and see what wounds they get. And like, mm-hmm. these are the poor, sorry, uh, sorry, saps that you, uh, paging Ethan Cordray. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Paging Ethan Cordray to the podcast. Um, well, he got that idea from Glancy too. So, <laughs> uh, I think he, he, I feel like Glancy or, gets enough press from. Him. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I like him. So yeah, he's kicking. Um, yeah. Uh, something bouncing off of something you said later, uh, or earlier. Mm. Wow. Time <laughs> dilation. That's weird. Yeah. Um, about like what sort of response you get from your players. Oh yeah. Uh, I was thinking about this. So I'm super in love with the like eight types of fun, you know, mm-hmm. mechanics, dynamics, aesthetics, uh, model. Uh, not, you know, that it's the be all end all grand unified theory end of the world, but like it's, it's a useful tool. Yes. Too. It's a good way to talk yeah. about it. And like whenever I want to do something like this in a role playing game, I kind of like to take a step back and say, all right, so which aesthetics does this resonate with? Mm-hmm. What, you know, if I use this mechanic, what dynamic does it produce driving in the direction of which aesthetics? Because you can measure that against what aesthetics do I feel like my players like to, is this going to work out? So I have the list here 
And I mean, if we want to take a minute and run yeah, down them, go for it. Um, so number one is uh, sensation game of sense pleasure. I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's not a guarantee, but I think like puzzles can be a great source for this. Um, or video games, you know, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, we haven't even talked about like physical in real life games. Like maybe you can get through the minefield if you can get through jumping jacks, you know, uh, yep. or, you know, uh, or, or jacks. jacks regu- please yeah. don't make me exercise. <laughs> um, yeah. Or yeah, that, that would be the extreme. We'd yeah. be doing like an Iron Man thing, but like, right. Um, yeah. Doing jacks or some, some other physical game. Um, yeah. so yeah. Anyways. Um, Second is fantasy game is make believe. I mm. think this actually doesn't reinforce that aesthetic. Yeah. Um, I think sort of the narrative break is probably going to take away from that. Yeah. Except in one particular circumstance, I think it does open up a spot for um, <laughs> sort of emergent situations, like things that you would not expect. What we here at RPBR might commonly call the Aaron factor. Um <laughs> Like it can produce unexpected results, all, sort of like a random roll table can. But I feel like players are probably going to feel a bit more ownership of it if it actually comes from their actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by and large, it probably doesn't, you know, hit fantasy a whole lot. Yeah. Thoughts? No, I I I, I do because um, in a role playing game, you're focus- normally you're focused on one narrative and you're sort of building that world in your mind, whether you're playing or running the game. But then uh, pulling up a mini game with totally dissociative game mechanics is obviously uh, you know pu- peeling back the fourth wall uh, at a minimum. So like, hey, do this Sudoku, and you're not thinking about you know uh, Uran or you know Rune thing, the dwarven uh, trap solver you know mm-hmm. his quest you're thinking ah fuck i gotta do sudoku now right or maybe oh great i get to do sudoku hopefully yeah but it's yeah it's definitely disassociative yeah. right so that actually covers uh number three as well which is narrative uh it's divorced from narrative it yeah. doesn't really do a lot for that um i mean in some ways it could like i would maybe the 40 D D inside of eclipse phase would emphasize uh that fair uh, because you're playing a game, you're literally playing a game. So inside that, so in that specific situation, in some specific situations, I think it would emphasize. But yeah, not but always. generally, yeah, probably not. Um, number four is challenge. Mm-hmm. I, I like it feels a little simple to just sort of mic drop and maybe do a dab. But <laughs> I, I think if there is one aesthetic that this really resonates on, it's going to be challenge. Yeah, uh, you know, challenge isn't something that I feel like we see a lot of player challenge mm-hmm. in a lot in role-playing games, especially as you move more in the narrative. Direction. Yeah, definitely in the narrative sense. I mean, th- there is a group that I think is primarily focused like the, the dungeon crawlers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, dungeon, not necessarily OSR, but even especially like Pathfinder, which is not OSR. Uh, I mean, but the dungeon, crawl, yeah, the dungeon crawl in aesthetic. I, I think there's like still a lot of people in that space that, that are there's more narrative driven yeah. than, than we might expect. But the, not, not the, the character usually. optimization boards, you know, would fair. Uh, yeah. Um, and certainly arena games and things like that. So anyways, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah, no, that exists. Um, but I think by and large, yeah, it's going to hit challenge yeah. a lot. Um, number five on the list I've got here is fellowship. Uh, this is sort of the dark horse. Like you mm-hmm. wouldn't think it, it, it would, would, but I feel like I have seen groups cohere. Some of the most I've seen around these sort of things, like everybody sort of, you know, it's kind of scoots a, up in their chair and yeah, it's yeah. kind of a gamble. I think, um, because it also depends on the player group because yes. certain players are going to be 
totally tune out, you know, like, ugh, and then, you know, they don't like the gimmick. Uh, but yeah, other times, if, if it goes well, then everyone bonds over it and like, yeah, we, we kicked this ass, you yeah. know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. So, yeah, I guess that, that does have to do, I think, to get a little meta on this, this mm. probably has to do with how much your players enjoy the aesthetics that this already mm-hmm. reinforces. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and again, uh, I, I kind of want to talk more about like player buyer, like the sort of problems of like, Real life player ability versus the the uh, the puzzle or the challenge or the mini game itself. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it kind of depends on that too. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll put a pin in that for yeah, just yeah. a moment. Uh, so number six I've got here is discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this one, like by and large, you tend to feel that, like, to especially me, if it's a if it's a if you're introducing them to a game they haven't played or yeah. or, or uh, at all or very much, right. Know? Um, like discovery is one of my main preferred mm-hmm. aesthetics and I feel like puzzles usually puzzles, mini games, sorry, I'm lighting to puzzles cause that's sort of, it's kind of the default and yeah. yeah, but you kind of have to, cause that's the easiest one to do. Right. Uh, but, but I think it's by no means the only way. Yeah. Star Fox, you know, 4E in my eclipse phase, whatever, those are all going to yeah. feel pretty discovery to me. Like that's pretty, that feels mentally like uncharted territory. Yeah. You know, I just realized an entire category we haven't even touched on, which is using war games uh, to simulate mass combat. Yeah. Um, and that could either be totally standalone or partially integrated if you can think, do a skill check to do this, you right. know, to give your units a plus one or whatever. Uh-huh. So that, but that's a lot of work, obviously. Anyways. Yeah. Nah, it's good. Um, so number seven here is expression. Game is self-discovery. These tend to be like your character actor types. Mm-hmm. I don't think this does a lot for that. Um, I could see if it, if it, the mini game itself kind of emphasizes that, you know, kind of like, Fair. um, not necessarily solvable puzzles, but like things that reveal stuff about your character or like charades or something yeah. like that, that, that could be something like that. I like, mean, I suppose you could say in like a gumshoe kind of system, yeah. like where investigative spends especially are supposed to be kind of revelatory of what the character is. Mm -hmm. You know, it is pretty reinforcing in that way of, you know, I solved this real world puzzle by being cool in my desired way of being cool in character. Sure. So that, that's well taken point. Or you could do a mini game to do like the whole, uh, choose the form of your destroyer thing. You know, there's no right or wrong answer, but like, um, you know, associate name, associate mental association games, you know, like, right. Uh, so something I, I'm not surprised neither you or I thought of, yeah. um, but like Melissa with her, you know, psych background and doing <laughs> this all day, probably could have thought of if we were talking about it, there's like what they call predictive tests. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's one called house tree person. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another one that I forget, but it involves a cube and a ladder and a horse and a thunderstorm mm-hmm. uh, that are supposed to be sort of like modern narrative kind of Rorschach tests sort of things that yeah. are somehow revelatory of yeah, that was the kind of thing I was thinking individual. Of. Yeah, yeah. 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 And that would totally work. Uh, could also, you know, that definitely gets you in your, uh, in your burrows kind of direction. If yeah. you want to run a kind of <laughs> fucked up kind of game. So I know armies, you know, yeah. Um, share and enjoy. Um, <laughs> so finally on the list, and then we can dispose of this, uh, is submission, uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, abnegation or whatever. Mm-hmm. Obviously, since this takes sort of, you know, 
doubling down on engagement and coming up to the table and like mm-hmm. ideally everyone sort of cohering and working together. I don't think it's going to do a lot for that. I mean, um, I pick on Tom a lot, but yeah. like I, he's sort of the or example of like, I yeah. figure if I do this at a table that Tom's at, he's not going to buy in. Yeah. That's fine. Like he'll just take a few minutes and, and look at cat pictures or something. Yeah. But like, and you know, Tom's a great guy and a pretty giving <laughs> player in that respect. And he's not going to like bitch and moan about it or hold yeah. it against me, but I'm just not going to have him in that moment. Yeah. I mean, there are players that like, they're interested in certain, the scenes that they're in and then they kind of tune out, you yeah. know? Uh, and well, sometimes I do that. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone does that to some degree. Um, but yeah, there are, there are going to be, um, uh, yeah, for mini games, they're kind of more, they're by default more active than the, they're, they're more demanding than the, uh, yeah. the typical game just, just because of the change, if nothing else. Yeah. Um, you know, and I thought of another category too, uh, which is actually one you kind of were talking about last night, uh, which is using a mini game to define your setting. Uh, yes. like, um, the quiet, the quiet year. year or, uh, <laughs> microscope. Micro- microscope. Or something like that. Uh, you could do any number of strategy games, you know, like in Seven Wonders True. or something like that. To like, um, or what's that one about the ages of uh, different like? Uh, that fam- is Seven Wonders. That is Seven Wonders. Yeah. Um, that has the three ages of the ancient civilizations. Uh, not the real life civilizations. The one with like orcs and uh, trolls. Oh, oh, small world. Small world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you wanted um, to generate the history of your fantasy kingdom, you could be like, and then the trolls, and then the skeletons, and then these guys showed up, and then. <laughs> um, so there are there are a lot of ways of doing that. Yeah. Um, but that that could uh, but the quiet year and microscope are are obviously going to be. More, they're far. almost purpose built. Yeah, that. they're almost purpose built to generate settings for your post apocalypse or whatever setting. Yeah. So. I mean, they're, they're fun in their own right. They're yeah. worthwhile games to play in their own right. But man, do they do that? Mm-hmm. So that that's another mini game. It's not even inside your RPG. It's like a prequel to your game. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I'm pretty sure. What was it? Uh, I think Ken Height, like not his uh, recently concluded Unknown Armies Rex of the Old 97, but like mm-hmm. the one before that was doing a spacefaring game where they used Microscope mm. as the like setting generation ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. Now that I think about it, I think one of the larger things uh, you can be doing is thinking of your campaign as a story and then using different games to tell that story. Like each game, like there's a primary game for it, and then, uh, but for different elements of it, you know, like, oh, well. At this point, you know, the rebellion has to fight the evil empire, so we're going to pull out this fantasy war game. And I've kind of represent, you know, converted these guys into the, into mm-hmm. these units and we'll do this. Um, and certainly, though, the more ambitious you are, you're going to run into, uh, problems, uh, or challenges. You know, one thing, player buy-in, as we talked about, but also the other thing is you're essentially playtesting a new game. Uh, and that, that doesn't mean it's going to work the way you want it to, uh, yeah. right out of the gate. Right. Um, I, I think, you know, apart from, and I've certainly hit on the, make sure you're prepared to fail forward version of this. Yeah. A lot of times the other like major thing I would say is this will up your prep involvement. Like <laughs> yeah. this, yeah. this takes effort. You cannot yeah. improvise this. Maybe yeah. you can. Maybe you are tremendously more talented if, than me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if it's simple, like, you know, let's go play a round of Needhog to simulate how the uh, fencing tournament's going to go, you know. Fair. Uh, uh, that that is something simple like that. Or let's go, um, you know, play beer pong to see how well you impress the people at the tavern, you know, uh, which case. <laughs> that, that, that's, Caleb wins. Yeah. Flawless victory. Caleb and Spencer win, yeah. 
Um, so that that's what I, those are those are simple, but they they're still taxing things. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, um, let's see. Oh oh yeah. I, I was about to say for more on a specific uh, example of the using two games together to cover different parts of your game. Please see previous episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean. Yeah, there, there. Again, there's, there's a lot of pitfalls to this, but like, I think it really pays off uh, yeah. in the end. Um, and it, like, let's see, what other games have we done? We've talked a little bit about uh, using board games. Uh, obviously, puzzles are kind of the main thing. Um, but can you think of any other kind of games that we haven't sort of touched on at all? Um, um, I mean, we could talk more about doing like physical or board games or. Right. Of video games. So uh, something, uh, or may, maybe like what kind of things are used for in games? Yeah. In okay. Um, so what I've got handy, like mm. just because I talked earlier about like how you want to chum the water with a lot of stuff on this to sort of let ideas float to the top and sort of hit that resonance. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just gonna throw out like the lists I brought. These oh are yeah, sort please. of Yeah, my my go tos to look for things, mm-hmm. and like we can dig into those. So um, the first place you probably ought to go is Wikipedia, um, and go to the lists of logic puzzles. Oh page, yeah, uh, because that's going to get you like uh, all of your Sudoku style number puzzles. It's going to talk about different types of word puzzles. Um, and it'll also get you into some things like, uh, I think something we haven't hit on that doesn't feel quite like a conventional puzzle. Um, at some point, I do want to dig in and run an investigation game that is like using the integ- the integrated game mechanics to actually work off one of those like gridded logic puzzles mm. where like, you know, the four families live in four houses in a row that are different colors and each one has a different pet. Oh, kind of like the lady favorite and the tiger flavor kind of, of ice cream. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that one's fairly binary, Yeah, but it's like, you know, well, there's variations. Yeah. 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 So Uh, essentially you have, you know, three or four clues mm -hmm. with three or four iterations each, and you're trying to narrow down which specific combination. I mean, Mm -hmm. it probably is as easy, you know, you could do it in means motive and opportunity. Yeah. Um, or you could, you know, another way of doing it if you want to be really simple, because you know, again, varying groups are going to have varying levels of interest in those right. kind of puzzles. Uh, you could do Clue. You could, you could literally play Clue. Uh, yeah. And if you can, like, do look, we're going to play Clue. If you can solve it in, let's say, ten minutes, then you get this bonus. If it mm-hmm. takes you this long, this will have. Or like, the quicker you solve it, the easier, the 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 less time the killer has to get away. You know, so like that. that yeah. Uh, so the chase scene will be easier uh, to get after the killer. So, um, yeah. So that that that's an extreme example. Uh, right. Um, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, like just on the logic puzzles page, mm-hmm. there's like a hundred entries. So oh, I haven't yeah. dug through them all. Like yeah. a lot of them are going to be number stuff. But like there's there's a lot of good things to go to there. From there, blow it back up to the puzzles in general page. Mm-hmm. Just realize you're going to get into some thought experiments there as well, which isn't necessarily bad. I mean, Ross loves a good trolley problem. <laughs> yeah, I do like trolley problems. Um, so, uh, yeah, moral dilemma kind of things. You know, I thought of another example. Um, uh, in Planescape, the setting, they yes. have um, – I can't remember the guys. They're kind of servants of Sigil, the central uh, city that, that's the, the the hub of the setting. Uh-huh. Um, and they only speak in rebuses. Uh, you know, they, they uh, only speak in little symbols that appear over, over their head. Uh, that, you know, like they use the, the – uh, they, they show a picture of an eye to represent the word eye. Yeah. 
Um, and what's that board game of where you put little concept? Uh, concept, yeah. Use concept to talk to a Rebus uh, yeah. or talk to one of those guys. That or or I mean, I think yeah. okay. So so something like if you float around there in the sort of talking about RPGs part of the internet anyway. Yeah, you hear a lot of gumph about like why would you ever have languages be a skill? Yeah. in a game it tends to not do a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But I think that'd be a great way to implement you know actual language difficulties. Mm-hmm. I mean. That's a hell of a way to do Darmok yeah. as as an RPG. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you could have the, the advantages. You know, if they spin points or whatever, they can get clues or, yeah. uh, you know, partially solve the phrase. Um, but, yeah, just and not even use, like, the cards in concept. Just be like, uh, you, the, you talk to the guy and uh, the GM then has to figure, all right, He's gonna say this, so put the he starts putting the tiles down, and he's like, "All right, four words, you know." And yeah. then you use concept to just to use the concept board just to communicate with this one guy. Yeah. And so the players then, and then it's optional, you know. But the players can get a massive advantage if they can, you know, uh, get in. He knows everything, or he has mm-hmm. some sort of uh, power that can really help them. Uh, if they want to, if they want to suffer through, like how how complex do you want to get? Like, can you tell me what a you know if, if they ask him a really complex question, he has to give them a really complex answer, so. right? So also, it's scalable too. Yeah, it's also got a lot of layers and some potential for massive bastardry because, <laughs> like, that all assumes that someone's actually wanting to communicate what they want to communicate. Yeah, like if it turns into a situation where you're essentially trying to red herring the players onto a completely wrong conclusion. Oh yeah, <laughs> but yeah. How do you tell if that guy's flying? You know, yeah. how do you how do you tell if he's doing this? Um, oh my god, yeah. So that that and that's also a social thing too, because yeah. then. Um, the entire group is involved and it's a, it's, it's not, a, it's, you're actually talking to an NPC, you know, so yeah. that, that actually, and there's, you could do a hundred variations of that, mm-hmm. of like some sort of barrier to communication, uh, between that. Um, so that could be really fun. Yeah. So. Wow. I think a whole lot of bluffing games, I think are going to mm-hmm. be like, um, oh yeah. 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 Li- like, but, all right. I feel like you or I will be honor bound to do this now. Some way to work Meow by Osmati Games yeah. into a role playing session. I, yeah, you you had a copy out last night, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. So I was thinking, yeah, obviously, the easiest would be Call of Cthulhu somehow. So uh, <laughs> who's secretly Amigo uh, Alien, you know? Yeah. Uh, whoever fails uh, Meow, you know? But like, even beyond that, um, you know, it, it might not, it might strain like game time too much to really want to play out like full versions of Werewolf. But, yeah. uh, one of my nephews actually got, uh, One Night mm-hmm. Werewolf, One Night Ultimate Werewolf, uh, this past Christmas. And like, I helped him learn how to play that. I hadn't played it before. It's a lot of fun. I want to pick it up now. Yeah. Uh, it's maybe a little, got a bit of a learning curve, but like, yeah. I could see that. Because it plays out probably in like 10 minutes, mm-hmm. plays out an entire game. The main, the main challenge with that, I think, uh, it seems most werewolf games do better with like, you know, a dozen people as opposed to like two, three to six, which is what an RPG. So what yeah. I'll say about that, specifically why I said uh, One Night Werewolf mm-hmm. or like Resistance could work for this as well, is that yeah. they are designed oh, for yeah. smaller groups like in in one night ultimate werewolf you have sort i think at most two people that are vanilla villagers mm-hmm. uh everyone else has special roles there are people like like the tanner 
is a villager who hates his life and wants to die. <laughs> so the point, like he's trying to bluff everyone else into thinking he's a werewolf. So he gets killed. <laughs> okay. And if he does, he wins and everyone else loses. Nice. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I like that. I like that. Uh, so I think, um, God, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, you could use resistance or something like that to yeah. do a mole hunt, you know, like yeah. in an espionage, Knights by Cajuns, or Delta Green type game. And then if the players win, they find the mole and they stop it. If they fail, then there's an attack, you know, mm-hmm. the, or their their efforts get sabotaged. It's not a fail state. Right. It's just you have now have a you have to complete a secondary objective that's right. more difficult. Or, um, or even, I mean, and that can split tripartite in that particular version there's find the mole there's sort of the bad state of the attack happens and then there's the the third way of like you don't find the mole but you find his trail enough that you know where the attack is going to happen yeah and one thing is also um these are i I see these mini games would be a really good way of doing depicting uh off-screen action yeah like things that like the you have the pc team you know the player characters they're over here doing this thing but yeah if you're doing like delta green uh and you know the players there's a infiltrated agent so you could run a game of resistance to represent had to see how much damage the mole does right um and this is all the npcs fighting the npcs kind of thing so mm-hmm. uh that kind of resolves that quickly yeah and the, and we you don't have to stat out things you don't have to do a whole scenario it's it's yeah and to like really bake the feedback loop in full circle i mean if you wanted to go really deep on that like the player's starting position in playing resistance could be determined by how their last op went in character yeah. So, like, if it goes off well, they get advantages and it's easier to play. Yeah, because there's different modes for it, too. Yes. Like, there's an easy and there's a standard and there's a hard difficulty. Right. Um, yeah. And and then that feedbacks out to, you know, whether the mole is caught or not determines how hard the PC's next mission is. Um, yeah, or like for a superhero game, uh, you know, the bad guys released uh, a toxin, you know, play Pandemic to see how bad the infection goes. <laughs> Uh, and then if the players totally fail, then the mission becomes, well, we got to go back in time and fix this fucking thing, you know? Uh, and then, so it's, it becomes a very difficult time travel scenario. Or you just pivot the campaign. Yeah. Or you pivot the campaign. Yeah. That's another thing. Yeah. It depends on how, um, yeah, you how mu- how much you want the players uh how this game affects the entire campaign. Mm-hmm. And and again, this all talks goes down to dealing with players and yeah. find out what the consensus of your table is. Uh I'd recommend starting small with some of these things like yes. uh make them small optional things uh and either in between games or separate to the game or something that one person can be doing it while you're doing the scene with someone else, you right. know. That's uh, why I kind of like the maze during a combat yeah. Thing. Oh, yeah. That's a really good way of uh, sort of breaking them in there. Yeah. Um, just get a stopwatch or something, or a stopwatch feature on your uh, mm-hmm. smartphone. Um, yeah. So. so, just a few more things I'll throw out there. Just sure. sort of uh, options to use with this. Uh, so I, I keep a bunch of these on an Amazon wish list, and I feel like <laughs> spending twenty bucks on something I, yeah. you know, that's that's not super important. But like, tangrams are great. I actually like pentominoes a little mm-hmm. better. They're the ones that look a bit more like Tetris blocks. Okay. Uh, there are also you probably all remember them from about second or third grade. Those colored pattern blocks that are basically all the regular shapes that tessellate mm-hmm. uh, and they're all different colors. You can get pattern cards. So oh, essentially cool. you have to build it out like that. Um, and then the other thing I tend to have on here, um, there's a company called think fun uh, that if you've been in like toy stores or certain like kids focused game stores um, do a lot of things like 
they did the robot turtles game uh that you may remember like is sort yeah. of uh, ostensibly about coding but like their big thing the last few years was the physical version of the game rush hour mm. um so if you look up their stuff on amazon there's a lot of different options there things that these would necessarily be somewhat more disconnected mechanics but i think they're great in terms of like the puzzle solving part of this yeah so I, you know those might be the slightly harder things to find novel things. Like I, I think most of us are fairly well aware of video games. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a ton of video games out there, but uh, there's a ton of smartphone apps, yeah. uh, smartphone games, mobile games uh, that you could figure out how to yeah. adjudicate certain events and games, especially if you're running like an Eclipse Face style game yeah. where there's crazy sci-fi tech and integrated and everything. That'd probably be cool with that. Like for, for sort of, before now genres i'm yeah. sort of inclined to be a grumpy old man and to like actually do physical things yeah and, that's true you i think the game should be appropriate to the genre uh, yeah. of the uh, the mini game should be appropriate to the genre of the actual game of if the you RPG. Can, i mean if you've got a good idea you yeah. know go with that but pick up th- all the resonance you can when you can yeah and and you can they can also actually thematically help the setting too i yes. feel like um, like if you want to be a bastard in sort of an eclipse face thing, you know, uh, you could be like, okay, you, you go into this uh, habitat that's run by a crazy, um, sort of everything's been gamified in an Orwellian way. So like, if you want to do anything, you have to play a shitty free to play game on your phone, uh, for the daily limit and show me your progress. You know, so play, so load up these games or here, I'll hand you an old smartphone that I have. So it runs them slow. Uh, so show me you've done this thing. Yes. And, my minions play candy crush for my enjoyment. Yeah, exactly. Play candy crush to represent you, you, uh, working eight hours at the life support center, you know, or whatever. Uh, this is like the bicycle episode of black mirror <laughs> yeah exactly uh Ugh. so yeah that, that that tedium uh to represent that so that that's you doing your cover you know uh while you're really doing eclipse phasey things so like every time you complete a mission in candy crush phase you get one time unit to do a thing and your eclipse phase job so Ugh. uh yeah there and then the players are like resenting the whole habitat itself because like again everything's been gamified and you know totalitarian and all that other fun stuff so wow uh, <laughs> uh or maybe that represents them essentially bitcoin mining while they're uh um, yep. doing their real secret agent stuff so nice um yeah there's there's a lot of ways you can do that so um yep. anyways yeah um I'll, I'll throw one more thing sure. in uh just because we brought up uh the eight types of fun and the mda mm-hmm. model again uh if you're a nerd and want to go read about that um one of the guys who's presented like done a lot of the research and presented a lot at gdc uh has that stuff out on a website it's uh algorithmancy algorithm plus mancy uh dot eight kinds of fun dot com uh okay. has a nice little summary uh some overview and then like two or three powerpoints with notes and like even the mda academic paper okay uh, like i'll get, none a, of it's I'll get too links long. up yeah yeah and and it's good reading if you're you know into overthinking things which <laughs> me up. if you're running games for uh, yeah if you're running a role-playing game you're probably overthinking things anyway so <laughs> <laughs> why not overthink with the best minds in the industry yeah um I'm trying to think, are there any good, like, survival games? Like, if you're trying to do a game where you're, like, trying to cro- Oregon Trail across, like, a fantasy realm or even a post-apocalyptic realm, would there be, like, 
uh, or any, or, you know, uh, ex- sci-fi colonize the planet thing. Are there any games about overland jo- journeys that you can think of? Maybe not in that sense, but, yeah. uh, one of my other sort of pocket interests that I want to boil up to a thing someday, what you want to do for that probably mm. is do a deep dive on OSR blogs because man, are there resources out there for hex crawls? Yeah, that's true. What you're talking about. Um, yeah, that's I've, putting an RPG inside an RPG essentially. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, I know I've probably shouted out to the to uh, Justin Alexander at the Alexandrian.net before, mm-hmm. but yeah. he's got a great series on hex crawls mm-hmm. um, that if you're looking to do that sort of thing okay. is worth your time and probably could be adapted to. Yeah. I mean, granted, you said planetary colonization, so I'm saying if you're really a masochist, you could do that with Twilight Imperium. I don't know why you would. Well, I'm talking about like you have to get from point A to point B, but that's like a thousand miles, so you have to go and like hit get food and stuff like that. I that's feel, definitely your hex crawl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like there's board. I, I think I, I I want to say that there are board games like that or like some kind of strategy game like that. Yeah, but I can't think of them off the top of my head. Um, yeah, so it's left as an exercise to the listener. Yeah, if yeah, if you, uh, I'm in sure the in the comments, yeah, please let us know what other kind of games you've done, what kind of mini games would work. We're uh, I'm sure we thought, beings. Uh, yeah, I'm sure we've uh, uh, missed something. Um, you know, I feel like you like the war game stuff we barely touched on, but there's a ton of war games out there. There's a ton of free rules, not just the big ones like the, skir- the skir- skirmish games with mini games, but there's a lot of games like a drive through RPG yeah. where you can uh, just get the rules and stat out whatever kind of figures you want as units. Um, buy a big brick of D6s. Yeah, <laughs> uh, essentially. Like, uh, I not know- even for rolling, just for... Yeah. These are my dudes. Yeah, these are your dudes. Uh, you know, like I got one a little while ago called Toy Wars where you can stat out everything from Barbie dolls to little plastic GIs and have a fight. Uh, we so totes have to do that this summer. Uh, yeah, we're probably, I, I have this idea, uh, sort of an aside, uh, of doing Iron Man Toy War where we get a bunch of toys from like the Goodwill and then go out to, uh, Aaron's family has a farm outside of, t- outside of city. As does mine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we just get fireworks and then the unit that dies goes to Valhalla, uh, via fireworks. Uh, and to record this via, you know, uh, we will uh, Video. videotape it as well. Um, uh, for uh, fun, uh, but yeah, so there's something like that. Uh, that that could be a good way of having your big epic epic finale because you just, most RPGs you don't want to have a you know army of thousands fight an army of thousands, right? And we have talked about it in the last episode, but like that that's kind of a whole separate yeah. thing. So, anyways, I um, invite you to not think about Toy Story three while doing that. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, uh, exactly. So um, all the feels, um, all of them. So uh, when we come back, we'll have shout-outs and anecdotes. Woo! Uh, and we're back uh, with whatever kind of synthwave or vaporwave, whatever music I put in there. Uh, it'll be electronica. Uh, it will probably be electronica. Um, I have been using more music uh, a variety of music for the mix six, but you know, I'm just producer Ross on that. So, um, anyways, uh, Bill, you actually thought of something in our break, oh. uh, the, for our main topic before we get into yeah. shout outs. So like rewinding back to the very beginning, I brought up the whole thing about sort of lock picking being the thing that really was kind of the proud yeah. nail that made me think about this. Mm-hmm. Um, on the, on the hack and slash blog, I'll, 
give Ross a link to post. I actually yeah. found something in the end that I really like for that. It's a version of uh, lockpicking as playing Yahtzee. Um, the character's skill at lockpicking determines the number of dice they get to roll, and the difficulty of the lock determines the quality of Yahtzee hand they have to build out of it to unlock the lock. Yeah, all you have to do is figure out like what are the penalties for not being able to make your hand. And, yeah, uh, you know, do you is the lock broken now, or right. can you? Uh, can you try again? You know, mm-hmm. how many times can you get? You know, if, if it's a time thing, are you making noise that is going to alert yeah. nearby monsters or whatever or guards? Uh, so yeah, right. But yeah, that's a great idea. So yeah. and that that's that's for any game where you can't pick locks, not in just fantasy, but like yeah. modern day. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I like it. Right. Uh, so let's get into shoutouts. All right. Uh, so for shoutout, I have is a manga series I have been reading um, called "I Am a Hero," uh, and this is a zombie apocalypse thing. Uh, but this is sort of like the antithesis of uh, High School of the Dead because this is not just fan service and ridiculous action and makes you feel creepy for just reading it. Uh, no, this is like a character, uh, very character-focused uh, thing. Um, story, it is about a zombie apocalypse, but the first, like, first, uh, I'm reading the Dark Horse Omnibus. Uh, I read the first two volumes, and... Uh, I think volume three isn't even, it's going to be out this month, later this month. Um, it follows this guy, Hideo, which, uh, is very close to hero in, uh, Japanese. So that's why he calls himself, I am a hero, you know, I'm Hideo. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of the thing in the, uh, the manga series. So, um, he suffers from some sort of mental illness. It's not specified so far. Uh, it could be schizophrenia or something like that, where he suffers from hallucinations. Oh. Uh, but he knows he suffers from hallucinations. And so even though he sees them, he know he has coping strategies. And so he's able to lead, uh, uh, lead a normal life, uh, more or less. Uh, and he's a manga artist. Uh, and he's working away in a studio doing backgrounds and that kind of thing. Um, very grueling hours. But... Uh, and he has a girlfriend, and you know he he also has a gun license. He actually has a breech loading shotgun um, that he keeps locked up most of the time, and he just uses it for target shooting. Um, he doesn't even have a hunting license yet. So um, the first volume is more or less about this guy's life and his struggles with his mental illness and his work struggles. You know, trying to be an artist, trying to get his own series. Um, and dealing with his coworkers who are all very, you know, they're all neurotic and, you know, uh, kind of messed up people. Well, not like super messed up, but like in a realistic way, you know. Um, and the, and in the background, there are news reports. You can go, oh, there's a fire at this nursing home. And oh, this person was bitten by someone. And oh, the police, you know, and it's getting worse and worse. And they're totally oblivious to it. All the main characters just tune it out and they're all focused on life. And the poor guy, he sees someone hit a zombie uh, with their car. You know, the zombie walks in the middle of the road. He's like, oh, and the the zombie walks off with the, her neck broken. Like, her head is looking at the back, you know. Like, it's 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 totally like, a, it's like a Pez dispenser, you know. And he's like, oh, Clearly wow. Clearly, I must be hallucinating. Yeah, exactly. And so <laughs> they have the, all these justifications. And, um, and then, of course, the outbreak happens, and the guy is just losing the shit and it it kind of goes i wouldn't say like this there's this bit where he gets into this sea of trees the suicide forest yeah and he's at night and he's at his lowest point everyone he knows is dead uh and he's just suffering and he, the hallucination comes out and he, it's just you you kind of feel this guy's absolute I, like he is at the lowest point anyone could be and still be alive you know like uh the the utter and you know it's the dark night of the soul in mm-hmm. a zombie apocalypse and 
uh, it, it's kind of moving, and it's uh, so I'm really looking forward to seeing the rest of it. And it's it's actually you know it is I think the greatest definitely you know miles above High School of the Dead, and, and it, it's not about making the hero awesome and cool. And they have this commentary about manga too. Like he he the the guy is trying to make this manga series without like a cooler charismatic hero. It's kind of like a and every uh, a sort of a wallflower nobody characters. People you need a you need someone who's really but you can't have these no these nobodies as uh, main characters and he's kind of like it's like oh god it's, the more i think about it the more layers. i like it layers of layers. layers yeah yeah so um yeah that that's uh, my first shout out uh, cool yeah all right uh my first shout out is to you and in saying that Aww. i'm not talking i mean you're, you're awesome ross this is a great <laughs> podcast i'm glad to be a part of it but that's not what i mean and uh listeners know this is not some sort of npr or pbs come on i'm not talking about <laughs> listeners like you i'm talking about greg stolze's new novel you uh which is an unknown army's novel uh just kick-started i just got my dead tree copy yesterday so i haven't dug into it too deep but i read the like 20 pages of preview. Yeah, it should be available for like, you can buy it now. Yeah. I think. Yeah. It's a, it's out there. I think if you for, did back for EPUB and POB or POD, uh, if, if like me, uh, you prefer that more trees are consumed to make paper instead of using old trees in the form of coal to read your books. Yeah. Um, Commentary. It's some of it's wind. We, uh, our, uh, local power plant is getting a fourth of its power from a wind farm in Oklahoma. Oh, well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Nonetheless, I like books as a physical <laughs> artifact, so um, there's that. But yeah, uh, novelly, <laughs> see what I did there? Yeah. Um, it is written in the second person, uh, which I think is pretty great for you. like yeah. the themes that Unknown Armies is trying to do, considering mm-hmm. the tagline of the game is, you did it. Yeah. Um, and it is a very humanist horror game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoyed the first 20 or so pages, and... Once I've cleared a couple of open loops off my reading list, I'm going to dig into <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually I'm not do, giving a shout out yet, but I'm uh, after I finished I'm here. I started Universal Harvester. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, I heard about that. I'm about a third of the way through it. It's really good so far. But I want cool. I, I'll I'll give the full review in the future episode. I'm behind before I know they're not connected, but I figure I probably ought to go give Wolf and White Van a, a go. Before I think I, uh, Kale's mentioned it before in the podcast, yeah. but yeah, uh, I I want to read that next because I'm so far I'm really digging it's like Universal Harvester. I've got three body problem checked out from the library, and I need to. You know, Caleb's like, reading the sequel to that right now I yeah think. yeah or yeah. he's audio booking it right now so yeah. uh we'll have to get his full review in a future episode so indeed uh anyways next actual uh shout out uh is something that was mentioned on the mix six uh but i hadn't watched it yet so i went ahead and watched it and that, this is young justice uh which is on netflix the first two the, the only two seasons they're doing a third season um uh, sometime later this year or next year they're working on it uh but it's an amazingly written, well written. Uh, it's probably the best. It's easily it's up there with Batman the animated series. Like I can't tell which is okay. better, but like they're both phenomenal. Like this is really well written. And the thing is, it's like for an ensemble cast, oh. and they make use of the entire DC continuity, and they do it well. Uh, and they wow. do like it's Knights Black Agents levels of deception and uh, espionage in there because like they're going undercover uh, and there's uh, some of the heroes go undercover. Uh, there's all this kind of like it's it's all secrets and lies, you know. <laughs> and um, what's amazing there's there's again like a eight or so main heroes in it and they mm-hmm. all have story arcs like they have uh, for all of them. Um, right. So it's two seasons, you know. Uh, it's not. 
uh, super long to watch. Uh, so if you haven't watched it yet. I mean, it's it's just good writing and like interesting characters and interesting dilemmas. Like shit gets real and then it gets more real and you're like, oh my god. Uh, but it doesn't get too dark because it's a cartoon. But like, uh, it's like really intense for a cartoon. So like, uh, it's worth watching. I'll have to put that on my queue. Yeah. Um, so I've got another one. I'm mm-hmm. going to switch up the printed order here. Going to do things a little different. But yeah. uh, those of you uh, who are Patreon backers and listen to After Hours probably, uh, you know, heard the bit where I uh, made an arbitrary choice. <laughs> And received a code <laughs> yeah. from Ross for the game Nuclear Throne, uh, which is available on PlayStation Network, uh, probably some other things. PC, definitely. Not. Okay. Um, it's sort of in my wheelhouse. It is a top-down twin-stick shooter with a uh, retro aesthetic. Um, it is uh, a bit faster playing like than The Binding of Isaac. Uh, tends, tends to be a bit more actiony, a not, bit less strategic. Kind of bullet helly at times. Yes, quite bullet helly. <laughs> um, it, it occupies a nice place between Binding of Isaac and Enter the Gungeon. Mm-hmm. Like I have made depressingly little progress in Enter the Gungeon. I've heard uh, that that's just is, ridiculously hard. It is hard as fuck. Yeah. Uh, but like nuclear throne is, is a nice game in those model models. You know, you get to shoot bullet at bad guy and yeah. move away from bad guy bullet. Who's your favorite class or character type? Um, I'm, it's toss up. Uh, I do like fish, uh, because I like the combat role. Mm-hmm. Um, and the extra ammo is nice. Um, I'm also into plant, uh, because faster mm. is nice. Uh, those tend to be my my jams. I could not get, do well at all outside of Crystal because of his uh, bouncy, uh, like hmm. bouncing bullets away. Like that saves my ass. I, I cannot do. I, I've tried. Well, I, not not. I haven't tried too hard, but yeah. like I'm doing. I do well with Crystal, so I'm just like all right, Crystal. But it's such an for me. It's such an intense experience. I can't. There's no abdication uh, in that for me. I'm just like my heart is pounding. And there's like oh god, uh, I almost got it. You know. See, I, I really get into this like sort of nice nonverbal flow state yeah. about. It which which is nicely abnegatory for yeah. me. So. I, for me, I think it's because I'm like I'm going to beat it this time, you know. And I, I think I'm probably my expectations are too high. Yeah, no, I, I assume when I boot it up, I have I have already lost. <laughs> uh, I am just playing to see, like yeah. I am choosing the form of the destructor. <laughs> All right, uh, it's a good game, is what we're saying. Yes. Um, Next up, I would like to mention Fragged Empire, uh, which is a role-playing game I've got. Um, it was kickstarted last year or the year before. Um, it's a post, post-apocalyptic sci-fi role-playing game. Oh, nice. Uh, it's like, you know, the apocalypse happened and uh, humans are gone, but there's different alien races. And they have, there's it's a space opera type. There's, you know, planets everywhere, people everywhere. Um and uh you kind of go around um and it's one it's beautiful it's got beautiful art and beautiful graphic design it's very clean uh and they have two versions of the rules like one is the uh how fat how far can your ship rotate in around uh kind of like level of space combat um and then they have the story version where it's like make skill checks to do things uh so you can nice. choose whether you're going to have tactical grid based combat or not Huh. And, and both are supported by the rules, which is nice. Cool. Uh, but the other thing I like is they have these rules for like finding secrets of the past, researching them, and then like using them for your characters uh, to improve your characters. Or like, and this is not necessarily science or technology. You could do with like literally like kung fu secrets. Like your character finds the secret manual for hand to hand combat and becomes the one guy with the. Uh, one true punch or whatever, or the five uh, Buddha, Buddhist palm technique or whatever it was in Kung Fu Hustle. Nice. Um, 
So that's a game that I'd like to play at some point. Um, I need, but we've got a lot of games to play. So uh, indeed. <laughs> um, let's see here. Oh yeah, you yeah. Um, so shout out to another podcast. Uh, I tend to do my podcast in binges because. Uh, Sure. Like my work is not super interactive. If I'm not in a meeting or having the occasional chat with someone, I am like up to my armpits in spreadsheet. <laughs> and it's, as I've said before, really good yeah. to sort of engage the verbal part of my brain. So I don't get, you know, distracted and I can concentrate on maths, um, and datas. But what I've been binging lately is GM word of the week, mm-hmm. uh, which is written by the angry GM who we've talked about before. Uh, I've actually, I played a game with him. I played hack and slash with him at Gen Con, uh, cool. with, uh, that was run by Kieran, uh, Robinson, the author of, uh, hack and slash, uh, like in 2013. So, all right. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, generally, I mean, you know, there, there are lots of feels out there on the interwebs about the angry GM. I feel <laughs> like his, uh, his approach is mainly a scrim. Uh, yeah. it's sort of a gimmick. Like, sure. He, he makes it pretty obvious. He does not feel as strongly as he wants you to think, think he feels about things. So I don't know. I, ca- I come not to, you know, I mean, Caesar Augustus reference, etc. Yeah. Uh, that notwithstanding, um, he writes the scripts, does the research for it. It's about a 20 minute a week podcast that sort of apes the format of a word of the day calendar mm. um, and appeals to me a lot because it has vast, vast digressions. Uh, last week's episode was Atyug, which had about a 10 minute recap of who exactly was Jesus Christ from a historical perspective and <laughs> okay. what are the b- basics of Christian theology? Um, and why was that important? Because Ed Greenwood once said that the actual name of Atyug's uh, bore Golgotha as the word root and he re- and uh, the angry GM and Fiddleback, the guy who does the reading, related that to the Golgothan demon from Dogma. Oh, yeah. Which yeah, shitty. Also, yeah. yeah, like a Golgothan should not necessarily be a crap monster. Yeah. Other than it had to do with the sort of, you know, death evacuations of yeah. all the guys that were crucified there, etc. Go watch Dogma. Okay. It's a movie. But like, it's that sort of thing in about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh Which, yeah, they're great for just sort of plowing. Oh, yeah. We got we got yet for sale. Uh, yeah, so yeah, uh, back there. Yeah, uh, cool. I, I like that. Yeah. Um, that there, there's some really good series uh, runs of them. Like there was one on various uh, landforms where he was talking about like taigas and tundras and cloud mm. forests and all that crap. Uh, there was a run, I think, on various, you know, eccentric weapons where you mm. talked about, you know, how pole arms really don't work like we think pole arms <laughs> work from a from a nomenclature standpoint. There's one on weird stuff in adventuring chapters, like why all of a sudden in fifth ed did the alchemy jug jug start making mayonnaise? Um, it's just it's great. Nice. It's 20 minutes of Wikipedia effect. Nice. Uh, cool. Uh, yeah, that does sound pretty good. Uh, yeah, I only tend to listen to podcasts when I'm on road trips. Uh, because yeah. I, when I write, I can't listen to people talk. That that does get that's verbal. So that yep. that, that that doesn't hurt my brain. Meets. Um. So so what you listen to Rush like math rock? Is that uh, how you get a? Re- I'm assuming it must be the inverse. I of my listen process. to synthwave and vaporwave. Uh, also uh, drum and bass and uh, trip hop. So uh, yeah, non uh, instrumental music is what I'm yeah. saying. Um. So my final shout out is the Grizzled, uh, which is a card game we did mention earlier. 
uh, a hard as balls uh, card oh game that we only won because we basically cheated and played on the easiest setting. Uh, <laughs> it is. I feel like that was cheating. It was a choice. Yeah. Well, no, because telling Tom like, no, if you do that, we lose the mission. You know, multiple times and letting him take back moves. I co-op co- <laughs> games that insist on withholding information from other players just don't make sense to me. All right, that's fair. Um, yeah. So grizzled is um, your your group of soldiers in World War One. And you're trying to survive the war. Um, and the way the game works is that you have a deck of cards that you have to basically all play through. Um, you have to you have to successfully complete every time you complete a mission. Every card that's been played in that mission is then discarded. Um, and the more cards you play, the more difficult your mission becomes. Um, and because each each card will have a threat on it, if you get three of the same type of threat, your mission fails. So that could be night or artillery or rain or something like that. So if there's three and the, the cards will have multiple threats on them usually, um, or injuries that your characters have that induce some sort of penalty that carries over. Uh, so it becomes a game of balance of like how many cards you want permission, um, and that kind of thing. And, um, it's, it's been really fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was fun and it's, it's well done, but like, you know, Caleb and Spencer have told, talked to me about it and they said it's basically unwinnable if you have five players. Um, and I can see, you know, yeah, it scales to the number of players. Yeah. It scales to the number of players and just having that many, um, yeah. Cause yeah, yeah. It's fun though. And it's cheap. So, yeah. uh, it's worth trying to get, uh, or it's worth getting uh playing. So <laughs> I don't know how strong of an endorsement that was. Yeah. You're, you're probably lose all your games, but it's fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's yeah. a reason forbidden Island and forbidden desert sell well. Yeah. All right. That's fair. Uh, so finally, uh, anecdote, uh, we've been playing a lot of different games. Uh, just to give you some idea. Uh, I have run a one shot of red market and, uh, spirit of seven, spirit of 77 recently. Uh, which was great, which was great. Was uh, so great. and then, um, we, but I've mostly been running base raiders. Yes. Uh, cause we're continuing on with gate nine, gate nine. uh, this on the second tier where the players are all grown up and they're dealing with world problems and you know, you're failing at adulting. Uh, no, you're saving the world dish. I mean, the world hasn't blown up yet. So, you know, <laughs> yet, yet, uh, that but, they, like of the normal Tuesday group, yeah. like Sean and I are both role-playing characters who are not good at making decisions <laughs> when Caleb's around. He is also like Caleb. Yeah. He, he's, he's trying, he's to, be trying good. to be good in a dramatic way that involves making decisions that only seem to be good on the outside. Yeah. Very well. So what's been, uh, uh, in one of some of our recent games, what's been one of your uh, more favorite moments or, um, I really liked, so this takes a little backing into, uh, cause, cause, <laughs> Like, the things you do in Base Raiders sort of acquire a certain inertia at a certain mm-hmm. point. It's like you step back and say, how did we get here? And then you break out the cork board. Um, but so uh, I recently, to achieve my character's goals, I realized I needed a large sum of money. Uh, rubbing up against something we had done earlier, uh, we had... Um, sort of become tangentially involved with bio buddies which are a completely original uh game property uh involving small creatures uh that are raised by children and battle other small creatures raised by children original co- concept do not sue game free <laughs> i could not have said it better myself <laughs> uh. um 
So because we had a certain degree of leverage to begin with on that, I decided the best way to make money and also deal with the fact that we had a bit of a problem with potentially bio buddies going feral and becoming an invasive species was to try to pump and dump the market uh, because this is obviously a consumer product and so depends on popularity. So if we made it popular enough, nobody would want it anymore because it would stop being cool. To do that, we had to corner the North, the already present North American market. Uh, one element of that involved wiping out the other major bio or, or buddy taking gym. them over. Yeah. yeah, or taking over the other major bio buddy gym on the North American continent, which was the Rocky Mountain gym up in probably Alberta. Yeah. Um, so we got in there, uh, did our base rating thing after a fashion. It involved rather more interacting with people than normal, but that's fine. We're decent at that as a group. And then we found out that uh, the Rocky Mountain Gym was exposing their war tortoises uh, to the elemental plane of Earth to make them stronger. And we were like, you should. I think they're gush tortoises. Gush tortoises. Uh, yeah, yes, I think. war tortoises. Yeah, yeah, close to actually being the thing. I'm sorry. Yeah. Gush tortoise. <laughs> Ugh, I'm so wrong. Yeah. Um, so we went through the portal to the elemental plane of Earth to try to deal with, you know, stopping them doing that and maybe take over the gym where we met the leader of the gym, which was a gestalt entity made up of dozens, if not hundreds of smaller Earth elementals that were joined together. Um, and it like was related to us uh, ultimately that the best way probably to get rid of him and take over the gym would be to foment a rebellion amongst his many parts. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that sort of led up to the moment that I feel like is sort of the base Raiders bit of this anecdote <laughs> where my character, Jeff adult contemporary flew up and uh, tried to convert the head to Randianism <laughs> uh, to make him realize that the rest of the body were takers that were taking from him slash them. I guess the head was kind of working together. Yeah. Um, Caleb as American Pharaoh, um, incited the arms into rebellion against each other via paranoia and literally the right hand not knowing what the left is doing. Um, let's see. He was talking to one of the arms. Sean, as Ivan, yeah. uh, was using his Ouroboros agents to distract the other arm so it wouldn't see the sucker punch coming. Um, and finally, Tom as Kurzik or whoever, uh, I can't, I think. Yeah, Tom had joined the campaign in the second half. Yeah. Uh, and he made, basically made a battle to it. Yeah. I, I always think I'm getting the name wrong because. No, it's Kurzik. Okay. Okay. Uh, we had discovered a drone that a grandmother of the second in command at the gym had purchased to try to convince her granddaughter to come back. The granddaughter tossed it into the elemental plane of Earth. Hashtag base raiders. Um, <laughs> and so Tom brought the lady in the unmanned drone back to the legs because the legs were already sort of like she had already half talked them into a communist uprising. Well, unionizing, actually. Unionizing. Uh, yes, yeah. I'm sorry. A sorry. little different, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he brought her back because obviously the rest of the body had chewed the drone away. Yeah, collective bargaining rights. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
when that was happening. So he brought her back. Yeah. And thusly, we talked the, you know, probably hundreds of feet tall elemental lord into destroying himself <laughs> by fomenting economic rebellion amongst his many parts. Yeah. And yeah. That's a, that's a way of doing it. So. Can I say hashtag base raiders? <laughs> uh, well, because you insinuated that, like, yeah. you know, fight me IRL, bro, would be a bad choice. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want to do a giant fight uh, against a giant. Yeah. Um, at that point. So, yeah, I, I thought the way of um, uh, you could have fought parts of the body while doing the same thing. If you could have just blown up the head while uh, distracting the other body parts uh, or turning the, them to fight each other, uh, which would have which been hard. We did. Yeah. Well, I mean, like fight, fight. Well, yeah, the arms did. But like getting the legs to fight against that. They they just unionized. So, yeah. Um, they, they, that was easier. Uh, but yeah, it, it was fun. Uh, I wanted to do it, something. It was great. Yeah. Like, um, it was a very base Raiders moment. <laughs> it was very base Raiders. Uh, so yeah, uh, this has been RPBR episode 140, Games in Your Game. Uh, I'm Ross Payton. Uh, uh, take the uh, success. Thanks, Dad.